0: 2 Chronicles chapter 13, amen, you got it, a lot of scripture today, a lot of scripture and I'm opening up with a story and uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting story but tonight we're talking about opposition, I don't know if any of you have ever faced some opposition, amen, some of you may have faced it on the way in, come on, some of you may have faced it at work today uh, but I want to talk about op- opposition today. Amen, Second Chronicles chapter 13, uh, verse 2 through 18. And I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says, and he regained, excuse me, he reigned in Jerusalem. Uh, excuse me, he reigned in Jerusalem three years. His mother was Macca and daughter Uriel. And uh, amen. <laughs> there was a war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah went into battle with an army of 400,000 able fighting men. Everybody say 400,000. And Jeroboam drew up battle line against him with 800,000. Amen. That's double the number. Abijah stood on Mount Zeriman and in the hill country of Ephraim and said, Jeroboam and all of Israel, listen to me. Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, son of Nebit, and official of Solomon, son of David, rebelled against his master, and some worthless scoundrels gathered around him and opposed uh, the son of Solomon when he was young and indecisive and not strong enough to resist them. And now you plan to resist the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hands of David <clears throat> which is in the hands of David's descendants. You are indeed a vast army, and have with you the golden calves that Jeroboam made out of made to be your gods. but you didn't drive out the priests of the Lord and the sons of uh, the sons who your own as the peoples of the other lands do. Whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may be a priest of what are not gods. As for us, the Lord our God, we have not forsaken him. The priests who serve the Lord are the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and they assist him. Every morning and evening, uh, they, they burn incense, and I'm going to go ahead and skip down. He's just talking to them, basically. And then in verse 12, he says, God is with us. He is our leader, and his priests with their trumpets will sound the battle cry against you. People of Israel, do not fight against the Lord. The God of your ancestors, you will not succeed. Now, Jeroboam had sent troops around to the rear so that while he was in front of Judah, the ambush was behind them. Judah turned and saw that they were being attacked from both front and rear, And they cried out to the Lord, and the priests blew their battle cry. And at the sound of their battle cry, God routed Jeroboam and and Israel before Abijah and Judah. The Israelites fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hands. Bow your heads with me. Father, we just thank you tonight, and I ask God that you would use these next few moments just to have your way. We love you and we praise you. Amen and amen. So we read all that scripture. To pretty much sum it up in this, you had two kings. One king that was a God-fearing, a God-honoring man, and you had another king. Both of them were from the north and south of the kingdom, Israel and Judah. And basically, one king honored God, one king feared God, the other king did not. And what had happened was the king who feared God went into battle. He decided to step in. He's the one who actually initiated a battle. And the Bible says that his, his foe, his enemy, came against him with double the number. Have you ever stepped into something where you get overwhelmingly <laughs> opposed, right? Maybe you had good intentions, right, of doing something for the Lord, but then all of a sudden the enemy hits, right? He hits and he overwhelmingly hits. And that's what the odds were. It was a two-to-one odds in what, in what was about to be a huge, huge battle. Now, we're going to talk about opposition tonight, and I want you to stay with me because what I have to talk about tonight is, is, is I believe it's the key for any person that wants to overcome opposition. I want to read you a quote today. It says, greatness is not measured by what a man or a woman accomplishes, but by the opposition, he or she has overcome to reach his goals. See, in this Christian walk, all of us are faced with direct attacks. All of us are. We're faced with trials and we're faced with opposition. A trial is simply something that comes against us for the purpose of testing. An opposition, however, that comes against us for the purpose of resistance and the purpose of stopping us. I want to drive that home. Let me say that again. A trial is for the purpose of testing. It's a purpose of testing yourself and what's inside of you. However, in opposition, when the opposition comes against you, it's for the purpose of resistance. It's for the purpose of stopping you dead in your tracks. Trials come to develop you, but oppositions come to stop you. There's a big difference there. Whether we like it or not, trials will come. They're part of our life. And they will continue to be part of our life, regardless if we're active or not. Whether we're in the fight or out of the fight, trials will come, right? But opposition, that, however, is brought on by steps that we take towards God and with God. It's a response to what we're actually doing for God. That's what it is. See, opposition is brought on by that. It's brought on by what we're doing. We see that in James 1, 2, and 3, the trials produce a result, right? They produce a result that builds. It builds you and it builds I. But we see in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, that opposition is to stop you or it's to keep you at a certain level. See, tonight I want to focus, on out of the two, I want to focus on opposition because I believe some of us in this room, if not the majority of us in this room, are facing something other than a trial tonight. We're facing a direct opposition, be it with your family members, be it with your children, be it with your job, or whatever it is, a direct opposition is what I want to talk about. See, when you, here, here's, here's what you need to know. that opposition is coming for you. Tell the person next to you it's coming for you. It's coming for you. We read about the king, right, and he goes into battle, and right away, immediately when he, just, when he takes that first initial step to go into battle, the enemy opposes him, and he opposes him hard. You can always count on your enemy to be there strong and overwhelming when you want to do something for the Lord. You can count on it. You can count on it. Maybe this year you've made a decision to start tithing. Well, prepare yourself because you're about to get some opposition. Maybe this year you've decided that you want to do a work for the Lord, that you want to grow a Bible study. Well, I want to tell you, you better prepare because opposition is coming. Maybe you've determined in your heart that you were going to pass out those 20 flyers and you were going to minister. Well, maybe some of you have already been feeling the opposition, amen? Experience opposition simply comes to stop you. I want to drive that home. It is not there to grow you. It is not there to help you. It is there to stop you. It is there to keep you where you are at. See, opposition tries or tests Three different things tonight. It tests your ambition. It tests your sincerity. And it tests your belief. I'll say it again. It tests your ambition. It tests your sincerity. And it'll test your belief. See, opposition will try your ambition. We see in verse 3 that Abijah actually started the battle. Right? He didn't get taunted. He's the one that decided, I'm going to go into battle. Right? Ambition is defined as this. Ambition is defined as a strong desire to do or achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work. Do you know that in today's age, ambition is not always looked at as a positive thing, right? It's not. Ambition is not really looked at as a positive thing. Throughout the Bible, though, we see men and women who were filled with godly ambition to do great works for the Lord. God inspired, God led, and God carried out ambition. See, my friend, I want you to understand something, that God himself places these strong desires, these strong ambitious thoughts in our hearts. Maybe here today you've been feeling strong ambitions and strong desires to do a work for the Lord. I love the other day when when Tony Kemp was here, uh, how he called out Brother AJ, and he started talking about the ambition and the dreams, and the truth is, almost everyone in this room, at one time or another, has had ambition. You've had it. Maybe some of you are experiencing it even now. See, God himself describes himself as zealous, and he himself, the Bible says, causes people to walk in his way. Well what does that mean? That means that we serve an ambitious God. He's a God who ambitiously promotes his own will. But when we receive ambition to do a work for the Lord, believe me, opposition will come and it'll try that ambition. See, 1 Timothy 3.1, let's actually turn to that right there. 1 Timothy 3.1. I want to read this to you. 1 Timothy 3.1. Say amen when you have it. Got it? Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer, and it goes on to give you the actual definition of an overseer. I believe this was read last week as well. But it talks about ambition in this first scripture. It says he who desires is to be an overseer, to be involved, desires a noble task. If God wasn't behind ambition, then my friend, that scripture wouldn't be in the Bible. He wouldn't talk about desiring something, and you know what's 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 uh, uh what what really shaped my personal opinion about ambition. You know, when I when I came to the Lord and I grew up in the Lord, it, it was it was during a very ambitious era in this church. It was an era where men and women were leaving, they were coming, they were going at all times on different assignments. You know, and, and when you grow up in an ambitious era where men and women are rising up to do works for the Lord, it's you can't help but get set on fire by that ambition. You see people going off to the foreign field. You see people getting launched out in teams. You see people, in, and it's an ambitious era. And I remember even myself growing up in that era. I remember, you know, my first year in serving the Lord, uh, I was on vacation, and I was, I was away from, from my home. But when I came home, you know, my first week, I, uh, I didn't know what to do with myself. I, I had been gone for so long, and, and you know, I had never served the Lord uh, free. And so I remember coming home, and, you know, I, I was asking, you know, my parents, what should I do? You know, I don't know what to do. And I'll never forget, she told me, well, call Pastor Steve. See what he wants you to do. And, I, you know, mind you, I was only 16 years old. And calling, and, and I remember he partnered me up with a, with a uh, gentleman by the name of Aniva, right? And if you ever met Aniva, he was a very ambitious person. A very And within, within a matter of days, I found myself caught up in this whole whirlwind of ambition. And exactly two months, trip off this, exactly two months after that initial contact with what was going on, I found myself in London, England. Hello. London, England. Right? Wanting to do a work for the Lord. Two months later, two months later, I was on a plane and I was in, you know, in Europe. <laughs> so when you grow up in that kind of ambitious environment, I want you to understand something. That that itself will also inspire ambition. You know, we're gearing up for that right now. I don't know if you see that. I don't know if you understand what's taking place. But all these classes and all these things and you see these men and women coming back, right, or going out. This is an era of ambition. And I want to tell you something, that what you're feeling is God-inspired. What you're dreaming is God-inspired. What you're wanting to do for the Lord is God-inspired. But my friend, opposition is coming to try that. See, don't be afraid to fuel that ambition, to oversee tasks like Timothy talks about, to take on a work for the Lord, so that when opposition comes in from the enemy, The first thing he goes for, I want you to understand, is that desire and ambition that God has given you. See, when the enemy, he doesn't necessarily have to defeat you. He just has to get you to not want to try that hard. Right? He doesn't have to defeat you right away. If he could get you to just not try so hard. We see this over and over and over with men and women who start well. They attempt to be involved in ministry. Or they want to be, you know, be involved in life groups, right? Or they want to help serve on a team. See, the enemy will start trying that ambition immediately. He'll start by sending overwhelming problems, right? Or the enemy will give them a job that sucks them dry of their energy, right? Come on, or am I the only one, right? It'll suck you dry of your free time, right? Or how about your marriage when your marriage starts getting hit? Right after you decide to get involved, right? Or your kids will rebel, Right? You know what's a trip? It's not too long ago. You know I'm not immune to this. This this is something like I told you that. that believe me, it, it has been long tested within my life. And a few months back, you know, right right around the time when we decided that we wanted to you know to take on the challenge to go into South Garden, um, almost immediately. I mean, literally within the same week uh, that that decision was made, my job offered um, pulled me to the side. You know, and, and they asked me. They said, "Hey." want to make you an offer. And I said, okay. And they said, well, you know, we, we, we like your work and we want you to come in and to help out, um, to, know, to run a crew. And I said, well, man, that's awesome. You know? And they said, the only thing is you would have to work nights and you would have to work from 3 PM to 10 PM. Yep. But hear this, they were offering me $36 an hour to do so. Now, My immediate thought was, amen, praise God, (laughs) right? God is good. But the truth is, I started really thinking about it, and I said, man, how am I going to be able to do both, right? You got to choose at some point what you're going to do. You got to choose what's more important. And the truth is, God had already begun instilling the ambition to do a work for the Lord in that area. And so at that point, my ambition was being tested. It was being tested and it was being attacked because if the enemy could have just got me to sit back, right, and just given up those nights and given up that time to go work, regardless of the pay, right, then he would have been able to just get me to stand still a little bit. Maybe not advance on him so much, right? Amen? And maybe tonight, maybe that's what some of you are going through. Some of you are facing that attack, that opposition on your ambition. I want to tell you something that these are the things that you have to remember about ambition. One, it's from God. Ambition comes from the Lord. Two, it is a desire that can be fueled. So guard it. Guard it. It is a desire that can be fueled. You can actually set it on fire, your ambition. You can dream big dreams in a church like this. You can desire big things and big tasks. Fuel it. And thirdly, the size of your ambition will be matched with the same size of opposition. Amen? So my, my advice to you is go big. Amen? If it's going to be matched, then you might as well go big. Go big or go home. Amen? The second thing about opposition, and it try, what it tries, it tries your sincerity. Amen? We see in verse 11 that Abijah, he was really observing God's ways. He's, in the whole part that we kind of skipped, you know, he starts telling his opposition just how they've been serving the Lord. And, you know, when you start feeling this, 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 this desire to do something for the Lord, I want to tell you something, that when that opposition comes in, right after it goes after your ambition, it will definitely go after your sincerity for the Lord. In 1 Timothy uh, 1.5, it talks about a sincere faith. The word sincere means this. It means free from pretense or deceit proceeding from genuine feelings. Hear me now. When we hear God's truth, right, or we experience God's call to do something for him, the enemy will oppose and attack exactly how you feel about that call. If you feel nervous about the call, he will come after that. If you feel, if you have doubts about what he's asking you to do, he'll come after that. He will come against your sincerity. See, if your enemy can get you to be not so fanatical, right about what you're attempting to do then my friend you will stop trying so hard you will stop trying so hard you know what's a trip is you know whenever you start something for the lord this is one of this this is a heavy thing that he comes after you know i've been able to to help and and help start a number of bible studies and this is like the first test that everybody always goes through right Right? You, you, you spread the word, you evangelize, you set up the coffee, you set up the chairs, and then nobody shows up. <laughs> right? Amen. Anybody ever had that happen? And right away, your sincerity starts getting opposed. Right? Because all of a sudden you start saying, man, do I even want to try again? Right? Do I even want to set this up? And week after week, when people don't, are not showing up or things are not happening the way you want it, your sincerity is being opposed. And see, we see men and women who at one time were fanatical in their beliefs. We see they were fanatical in their actions. We now see them sitting sometimes on the, the sidelines. Why? Because the enemy will oppose and has tried their sincerity. Their sincerity, and it actually puts them on the sideline. Because when the enemy comes in, for some reason, you know, the enemy will get them to believe, get us to believe, that we're doing too much and that we need to tone it down. Amen? Right? Come on, we're talking about sincerity tonight, right? You ever sit in a conference message or maybe one of those messages where pastor's preaching about taking the world, right, or taking our city? And in those messages, don't you feel the move of God? You feel that as he's preaching or you're hearing this message, you can actually feel the move and the excitement and the sincerity that you really want to do something for the Lord right? And then you come home, right? Then you come home and then reality hits you, right? You look at your bank account, right? You look at your family, you look at your husband, you look at your wife, right? And then reality starts to sink in, right? You look at your bucket of a car, right? All these things start to come in and there goes the enemy, He's testing your sincerity. Those of you women that came back from conference, hasn't he been testing your sincerity? Hasn't he been testing all those things you told him at the altar? All those promises you made to him? He comes after your sincerity. Your sincerity is being opposed, and it is simply meant to stop you. That is its purpose. Remember, it's not a trial. He's opposing your sincerity because he wants to stop you. The third thing, opposition tries your beliefs. And we see in verse 3, that The odds were very, very clear. He came in with 400,000 men, and his opposition was 800,000. That's a two-to-one odds. And I want to tell you something tonight if you don't already know. It's really hard to tell your eyes that it's going to be okay. <laughs> Amen? You can tell your mind. You can tell your heart. But isn't it hard to tell your eyes that it's going to be all right? Well, this is what, was, this is what the king was going through. He, he, you know, he was there and he was ready to do work for the Lord, but his eyes physically seen the opposition two to one. Just like some of you, when you open up your bank statement, you see physically with your eyes, the opposition, amen? Or like I said, when you come home and you're seeing what you're seeing, really hard. Fear is a very real thing, my friend. And a man and a woman who doesn't acknowledge the existence of it is lying to themselves. It's a very real thing, fear. A great man once said, the key, though, is to keep your faith level above your fear level, right? See, why is your belief so important? Ask yourself. See, physical actions control the natural realm, but your faith controls the supernatural. See, Proverbs 23.7 20, says, as a man thinks, so he is. So if your enemy can get you to lack in your belief, he can get you to shrink back and fail. So he's going after your beliefs. He's going after that. You know, it's a trip. It's not too long ago. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the enemy, like I said, all of these things he's personally, constantly opposing me in. And uh, you know, one of the, one of the things that he he tries to come after constantly is my children. Constantly, he's constantly coming after them. And you know, not too long ago, we were going through an era where. Uh, you know, we were having, you know, tremendous, you know, tremendous uh, moves of God. We were seeing God move in a lot of areas. And we would come home, and, and one of my daughters in particular, she would wake up every almost every night, you know what I'm saying, for a, for a good period of time. She was waking up, freaking out, crying. And, you know, finally I started asking her, what, what is it? What are you scared of? And then she told me something that kind of blew my mind, you know, because she told me, she goes, well, there's a man that comes to me. And I go, all right, well. You know what? It, what does he look like? And she would just say she'd be crying, and she'd tell me, you know, the man would would come to her in the middle of the night, and we all know what that man is. We all know it's the spirit, and it would come to her, and it would wake her up, and it would tell her, "I'm gonna kill your dad. I'm gonna kill your dad." And I started hearing, I said, "Ooh, that's heavy right there." Right? And so, you know, but you know, when the enemy comes, he comes against your belief. Amen. And she was telling me this, and I was like, "Wow, that's heavy, man. You know, I'm making I'm making some enemies here, right?" So I just told her, you don't worry about it. You tell him, bring it on. Amen? <laughs> you tell come on. But I want to tell you something, that the enemy will come after your belief. He'll come after it. See, Abijah probably didn't expect such an overwhelming opposition. He probably didn't. He probably expected a little opposition, but he didn't expect the two-to-one odds, nor did he plan on it, right? Because otherwise he would have brought more men. See, however, if we see anything, we see his determination. Because he didn't run, he didn't shrink back. It was his determination to believe that God was not only able, but willing to save him and to give him the victory. See, remember, opposition is meant to stop you. So we have to maintain our belief in God and God's deliverance. So what do we do when we're opposed? How do we overcome opposition? I mean, how do we get through this? I want you to turn with me to the book of Psalms 121. Psalms one twenty one. When he have a say, Amen. And this was one of the uh, a huge part of what I'm about to say right now was inspired by Pastor Steve. If you've ever listened to any of his messages and ever heard him speak. He was very big on mountains. He was very big on talking about the hill country. And for good reason, for good reason, and we're going to talk about this tonight. Psalms 121, what do we do when we're opposed? The Bible says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does, come, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. See, throughout the Bible, we see a common reference to God's choice in the hills and in the mountains, as his dwelling and as where the help comes from. And we also see that in in, uh, Micaiah 4, 1 and 2. We see that the mountains, if you go throughout the whole Bible, there's a lot of references to God's holy hill, to the mountaintop. So what is the significance? We're talking about opposition, and we're talking about how to overcome opposition and where our help comes from. And we see that in the word of God, God refers to the hill country. He refers to the mountains as where the help is at, as to where he himself chooses to dwell. And so why, my question tonight for you, is what is the significance of it? Why would he look to the mountains? In order to understand this, we have to understand the nature of the hill country. Now, we live in an area where there are hills, right? We live in an area where they actually have built on hills. And so... I want to go over a few things about the hill country that I want you to understand because we're, wonder, we're trying to understand why the help comes from the hills, why God himself tells us to look to the hills. See, the first thing to understand about hill country is it's a land where few natural resources are. It relies on the heavens above for its rain, and there's not too many fruit-bearing plants up there. See, we also have to understand that not much life is up there. Due to its terrain, there's not many animals that learn how to walk sideways. Come on. We also know that the air is thinner up there, and which means that every breath up there counts. So all in all, the hill country is a place that not too many people want to live, right? It's a place that's it's, it's rough. It's rough to do anything up there. But in spite of this, we know that there's groups of people that have been able to inhabit the hills, Right? They have paved roads, they've trailed, they've made trails, they've extended pipelines, they've actually adjusted to the environment of the hills, and they've actually made these desolate areas inhabited Stay with me now. One can say that the hill country is almost a supernatural place, right? Because so much of what works in the flatlands, it doesn't work in the mountains. See, only the toughest people choose the hill country, and it's their catalyst spirit that's their source of strength. We're talking about the hill country tonight. See, it makes sense why God would choose to dwell in such a place among an environment of impossibilities where human pride, the ability, and even wisdom does so little. See, Psalms tells us to look to the hills. It tells us that's where our help comes from. So the answer for all of us tonight to opposition lies in that hill country mentality. The hill country mentality. See, allow me to define to you what the hill country mentality is. The hill country, the first thing that the hill country mentality is, it believes that there is something worth building where others won't. I'll say it again. We're talking about the hill country mentality. It believes that there's something worth building where others won't. Most will choose an easier, more level land. Value to them is not what can be, it's what is. See, with this mindset of willingness to build where others won't, opposition is quickly overcome because you already know it's gonna cost more, it's gonna take more effort, and it's what you're building is worth the cost of the struggle. We're talking about the hill country mentality tonight. I believe a large part of discouragement it comes from having a petty mindset. When your mind is on building a road, building a home, building a stronghold in you know in the in you don't mean in the mountain, you don't have time for distractions. You don't have time for setbacks. You don't have time for the opposition. Hear me now. When you're on the petty mindset, those things will discourage you. But when you're trying to build a home, you're trying to build, right, a road, you're trying to build a stronghold in that mountain, these oppositions, you ain't got time for them. Even though they're real, you ain't got time for them. A person with this mindset, he sees just how rough the environment is and knows that within that rock, there's gold, there's silver, and there's diamonds. There's treasures in them mountains amen yes it's hard to build and you might need some dynamite you might need some heavy equipment you might need a lot of manpower but it's all worth it when you start hitting that pay dirt amen hill country mentality we're talking about overcoming opposition tonight the second thing and the second part of the hill country mentality is that it believes in being resourceful right it uses the terrain and the foundation for protection from possible future attacks. We see that they carve out whole chunks of the mountain and they surround themselves with the landscape. See, most are happy, hear me now, most are happy to simply get through the opposition, right? Not understanding that God is providing us with an opportunity to develop and learn so that next time we face the same opposition, we know how to overcome it. The mindset doesn't ask for new things. Rather, it asks for the wisdom to use what we already have. See, listen to me. I'll say it again. I'm trying to drive something home here. We're talking about opposition tonight. It says the mindset does not ask for new things. Rather, it asks for the wisdom to use what we already have. Use what you have now. That's what a resourceful mindset will do. See, a lot of folks will get discouraged, myself included, by what they don't have, right? Come on, how many get discouraged by what you don't have, All right. But the truth is, God is always preparing us for what's to come. He's always preparing us, and he's always instilling in us what we need to overcome. Even now, at this very moment, God's instilling inside of you what you need to overcome. And he's already forging a way out for us in our opposition, We see in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that he talks about that, how God will always provide that way out. See, a resource is reusing what has originally come from the main source anyways. It's just reusing it. It's right there for your your ability to use it. See, maybe less people, I believe maybe less people would quit if they learned how to pull the cord on their built-in life jackets that God has given them. See, more people have life jackets on and sink, hear me now, more people give up and they actually have a life jacket. God has already instilled in them the resources to make it. God has already, he's already put a life jacket on you. You already have the ability to not sink. When this opposition comes, when the problems hit your life, you have a life jacket around your neck. You can pull it. You can dial a phone number. Hello, somebody. You can go to a life group. You have a life jacket. You can pull the cord, but most people are not resourceful. They look at what they don't have. They look at what they're not getting. They look at what's not happening in their life, and the whole time they're sinking. Their whole life they're going down, and the opposition's overrunning them, and they have a life jacket on the whole time. Reasons people who are battling opposition, the reasons they don't use their resources, I want to give you three of them. Three reasons why people who are battling opposition, myself included, don't use the resources one they don't feel that they'll work this is a true statement here people don't use their resources that they have available to them because in their hearts and in their minds they don't feel that they will work you know it's a trip one of the stories that has always amazed me and and i don't know why i'm amazed by it because i know god <laughs> you know i know how powerful god is but it's a story of elijah and the ravens when the ravens fed him right But it still blows my mind. Every time I read it, it's like, that's crazy, right? Imagine if God came to you and said, go ahead and, you know, I want you to go over here to, you know, to uh, Redwood City, use Palo Alto, and and I'm going to send some birds to feed you and your family lunch. How many of us would go? I mean, let's be honest, right? I mean, I know I wouldn't go. Oh, it's crazy, right? But Elijah, Bible says, God tells him, go, and I'm going to feed, the ravens are going to feed you. Don't worry about it. But he still went. And the crazy thing about it is God, he will give us resources, but in our minds, they won't work, right? God will tell us, I want you to start this ministry for me. I want you to do this work for me, and I want you to do it this way. And what do we do? Right away, it's not going to work, right? We don't got no money. How are we going to do this, right? Or God will tell us, look it, I want you to go, and I want you to talk to this person about me. And then you look at it and say, man, that's not going to work. They're not going to listen to me, right? See, that's one of the reasons and one of the main reasons that people don't use that resources. They don't feel it'll work. The second thing is that they don't feel or the reason people don't use their resources is they feel that they're played out or they're used up. You know, it's a trip is you can talk to somebody who's going through it and you can give them the best advice in the world you know what the best advice is go pray (laughs) right most people will be like yeah yeah you're right you're right but in their heart and in their mind that resource is used up well you know yeah i do that but mm, this doesn't work you know the resources that we have been given work right or we tell somebody go to counseling go get go get some advice right we got all, we got more all kinds of pastors go talk to somebody right and what happens yeah yeah all right we don't feel it'll work we feel it's used up or tithing right you tell somebody who doesn't have a job start tithing you tell somebody who's struggling in their finances give and right away yeah 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 you're right but they don't they don't believe it'll work they, it, they don't use it because in their minds that this, it's already played out. It's already used up. It doesn't work no more. See, the third reason, or just, I'm sure there's more, but <laughs> the third reason I believe people don't uh, use their resources when they're battling opposition is that they don't know the correct way to use them. They, don't know, they have the resources. They don't, just, they don't know the correct way to use them. You know, one of the, the main areas people don't know how to use is criticism. They don't know how to use it. They don't know how to use rebukes. They don't know how to use failures. All of these things are resources. They may not seem like resources when you're getting rebuked, right? Come on. (laughs) They may not seem like it at the time. Or when you fail, that, yeah, God's giving me a resource, right? Or when somebody's giving you constructive criticism, you know, brother, you should have did it this way. Or, you know, sister, you shouldn't have said that, right? Those criticisms in our mind, they're not a resource, but the truth is, those things that are being offered to us are coming in the way of a resource. We could actually use those things to invent ourselves, to not sink, to not be overran by the opposition. But people just don't know how to use them. They don't understand that there's a correct way to take these things in. Amen. See, and the last thing tonight is, as they come to the piano, is the, the, we're talking about the, hill country mentality. The last thing I believe that the hill country mentality believes is establishing that mountain. Establishing that mountain. Pastor Eddie said it at a conference one year that pioneers break the ground, but settlers establish it. Right? Pioneers break the ground, but settlers will establish it. See, these people who have chosen the hill country they have chosen these mountains. They've chosen this unforgiving land as their home. They have chosen to adapt. They have chosen to modify, right? They have chosen to expand atop of a place where nobody else will. And here's the thing about when you believe in establishing. And this is what I want prayerfully you to, to get in your spirit. Because if you can get in your spirit, you can overcome opposition. When you believe in establishing, and you finally see yourself as expanding in a place, you rule out running. You rule out failure. You rule out plan B. And the truth is, when that opposition comes, plan B sounds real good, don't it? Giving up sounds good because you're being faced by problems and you're being opposed by the enemy. But that hill country mentality says, no, nah, I'm gonna build here. I know it's rough. I know it's hard, but this is my home. And I'm going to establish, and I'm going to adjust, and I'm going to modify, and I'm going to let my roots sink into this mountain. See, most people, they see this mountain, right? And it's just a place to get over. But some people say, no, I got to overcome this. I'm not going to go past this. I have to build here. I have to actually establish myself here. And you know, tonight I want you to understand something that about opposition, it's coming if it hasn't come already. It's going to attack and it's going to attack and it's going to attack and it's meant to stop you. It is meant to stop you. God tells us, look to the mountains. He himself has chosen the mountain as a, as a, a dwelling place. Why? Because there's resilient people in those mountains. There's treasure in those mountains. And if we can get in that mentality, where we're willing to be resourceful, right? We're willing to build where others won't, and we're willing to learn how to establish ourselves, to establish a work for the Lord. In those hard places, that opposition will be par for the course. It'll be part of your life. It won't be your life. It'll be part of your life. It'll be the things that we go through while we're building a work for the Lord, while we're establishing a stronghold. And while we're doing something for God. I want you to bow your heads with me tonight. Hill country. Hill country mentality. Opposition, it's coming. For some of you, it's here. I'm not here to give you a a sad, sorry message. It is going to be all right here to encourage you, but it's going to be all right when you get this mentality inside of your heart, inside of your life, you can make it, you can make it beyond a year, you can make it through what you're going through right now, that opposition is meant to stop you, it is meant to keep you where you're at, the enemy doesn't want you to advance, he doesn't want you to do the work for the Lord, he definitely don't want you to get your act together. Definitely don't want your marriage to work. Definitely don't want you involved. So he's opposing you. He's coming against you. But listen, there's help in the hills. There's help. There's help because these men have built. God Himself chooses to dwell there. You know, as this song plays right now. You know, I want to pray with some of you for a change in mentality not a change in situation but a change in mentality a change in your mindset and your way of thinking I want to help you get into that mindset where you can overcome that opposition we read how the Lord delivered the king he delivered him two to one odds if God delivered him your odds even though they're against you mean nothing God can still save your family. God can still save your marriage. God can still save your ministry. God can save it. God is on your side. The enemy just wants you to believe that it's over. He just wants you to believe that it's not possible. But it is possible. It is possible. Now that's what I, so I just want to pray for tonight. I want to pray for a change in mentality. If you say, you know what, Eric, I understand what you're talking. About. And it isn't the opposition that needs to change, it's my mindset. It's how I see it, it's how I view it. And I wanna become that person with the hill country mentality to be able to overcome this opposition in my life. If that's you, from all over this place, I'm gonna ask you to slip out of your seat and come to these altars. The rest of us, let's stand. From all over this place, if you say, listen, I need to change my mentality, I need to change my mentality about what's going on in my life, right?